we want to unlock parallelism for humanity where like currently you can imagine like we are all single threaded we can do only one task at a time but if we could have ai we could launch like maybe like i don't know like 100 ai agents at a time all the ai agents to do the work and then tell you like oh yeah this work is done and then you can like sort of like coordinate that and in the core i believe like you need to have some sort of tenants if you want to build really intelligent uh, ai agents and one of them should be like a agent should not be able to modify its own source code because uh, if it's able to modify its source code then it could like self evolve it could do like really weird things i don't think gpt4 is there yet uh, when it comes to a lot of really complex reasoning and so you might need some like a uh, big tools in the foundation model layer you know we you have like 20 foundation models dropping and like like i don't know like 100 papers published so it's definitely the progress is crazy hello and welcome to the cognitive revolution where we interview visionary researchers entrepreneurs and builders working on the frontier of artificial intelligence each week we'll explore their revolutionary ideas and together we'll build a picture of how ai technology will transform work life and society in the coming years. I'm Nathan Lebens, joined by my co-host Eric Tornberg. Hello and welcome back to the Cognitive Revolution. My guest today is Div Garg, founder of Multion, the world's first personal AI agent and life co-pilot. Until recently, Div was a PhD student and adjunct faculty at Stanford, where he created and taught a class called Transformers United which explored how the revolutionary transformer architecture is already beginning to unite such previously disparate fields as natural language processing, computer vision, biology, and much more. Now, because he believes that AI agents will become one of the most important parts of the AI technology wave, Div has taken leave of the PhD program, raised venture capital, and is currently building the Multion team so that people no longer have to browse the web alone. This is our third show about AI agents and I'm really struck by how different the product and rollout strategies seem to be. Flo Crivello, the CEO of Lindy, often posts images of intricate workflow automations that Lindy has created for him based on detailed prompts. Matt Welch, the CEO of Fixie, has launched a public-facing agent platform as a playground for developers, but is really targeting enterprise customers. And Div with Multion has wrapped an AI agent up in a Chrome extension so that users can easily delegate tasks to it, can watch what it's doing and supervise along the way, and can even assist in real time as necessary. The AI agent space is fascinating, and in my view it really does merit a diversity of approaches. Each strategy of course has its own strengths and weaknesses, and time will tell which one ultimately wins out. But after testing a bit over the last couple of weeks, I can say that Multion is really fun to use. watching it navigate the web, explain its reasoning, and attempt to move forward toward whatever goal you gave it really does feel like a glimpse of the AI-powered future. In this conversation, we talk about Multion's product strategy and roadmap, their natural language approach to skills for Multion, Div's vision for how AI agents will impact human work, the steps that they're taking to ensure user safety, the standards of reliability that Div believes Multion will need to achieve to see mass adoption. and lots more along the way. I really loved Div's tremendous energy and positivity and I found this conversation extremely interesting. If you agree, as always, we'd appreciate it if you'd give us a review on Apple or Spotify, leave a comment on YouTube, or simply share the show with friends. If you have any feedback or suggestions, you can reach us by email at tcr@turpentine.co or DM me on Twitter where I am at @lebens. Now, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Div Garg of Multion. Div Garg, 
Welcome to the Cognitive Revolution. Yeah, happy to be here. I'm excited to talk to you. So you are the founder of the AGI company, Inc., uh, also known as Multion, which is online at uh, for limited users for now at multion.ai. And, uh, you know, from what I understand, you have left the comfortable environment of a Stanford PhD in machine learning and thrown your uh, self into the incredibly turbulent waters of trying to build an AI agent startup in the midst of, you know, one of the craziest technology environments ever. So to get started, tell us a little bit about that. So definitely, I would say like this seems to be the right time to go and like start building AI applications and agents. And I think like the like the best startups are born during like turbulence. Almost like you have a very big technology revolution happening. There's a lot of turbulence. A lot of players are getting like shipped up shifted. And I would say like this is still early enough where we we want to go and like sort of uh, start building AI applications that can be useful in everyday life. So I will I will say like I still think like agents are still early, but this is the right time to like go start building them as a startup and start solving the problems there. And uh, even if it takes you like say like five years or like more. Um, I think this is the right time to like start building and like uh, tinkering with them um, and solving them as like a problem. Yeah, definitely. If you wait until it's easy, then uh, it's definitely too late to you know be in on the the ground floor of of the value creation. So that definitely makes sense. I want to get into you know a lot of detail about how it works and all that kind of stuff. But what's up with how did you uh, come up with the incorporated name of the AGI company Inc. and where does the name Multion come from? Sure, sure. So that's a good question. Um, so for the AGI company, it was just like, uh, it was really funny. Um, so I was just checking online, is this, is this a name that's available? And I was actually very surprised, like, this is a name available. So uh, I went and registered it. And uh, so we're not actively using that name for now. Um, we're also, uh, we're just like using Multiwan. Um, we, maybe we will like uh, start using it in the future. Uh, maybe we can spin up a nonprofit or something. <laughs> The nonprofit controlled uh, startup is all the rage these days. So, what about Multion? Where does that come from as a name? Yes, yes, yes. So, I would say, um, yeah, so this is like, I would say, I have a physics background. I did some like international physics Olympiads back in the day. And the name is actually inspired by like a hypothetical, like, quantum particle that's present uh, at every place at the same time. So, it's like if you have like something like neutron, muon, fermions, like Multion. Fascinating. Okay. I, blind spot for me i didn't even make the connection for me it meant just like something that was on in multiple ways i guess i don't know <laughs> i was kind of thinking of it as my you know my ai assistant that's always on or something like that yeah i think people think of that too tell me about your your kind of approach in how do you see the the relationship right now between research and product building it's you know the the pace of research is so insane that it's like as a product builder you know, feels very hard to keep up. And yet, if you don't, you know, that seems like, a, by definition, like a huge problem. So it does seem like a good time for researchers to start companies. How are you thinking about that for you? So definitely, I think like, yeah, this is a great time because um, you can finally say like AI is starting to get applied in everyday life. So if you look one year back, like there was no GPT-4, there was no stable diffusion, bunch of those things. And like uh, people were not actually using AI as a product. Like maybe they were like self-driving cars, but didn't work. Uh, there were no large language models used in production. And I think like, this has shifted a lot, just like has been like an exponential shift. And uh, this is uh, like, I would say it's a right time where AI is starting to get applied as product. 
and the field is moving very fast. So it's definitely hard to consolidate the research with the product because uh, all the iteration cycles are really fast. And uh, things, like even like uh, in a week, you have like 20 foundation models dropping and like, like I don't know, like 100 papers published. So it's definitely the progress is crazy. Um, for us, I think like the nice thing is uh, uh, we really like the open source community and like we see that as like a way where we can like uh, bootstrap on top of developments there as well as like uh, do collaborations to sort of like um, like take the best approaches and like uh, pull in to uh, what we are doing um, as an agency company. What's the status of the company right now? I noticed that you have put out the call for hiring, but I haven't seen any fundraising announcements. So is uh, would you like to break any news here on the cognitive revolution? Uh, sure, sure. So I will say we are in the middle of a seed race. Uh, we have got some really uh, good term sheets. Um, and I will say um, you'll see an announcement in like uh, maybe a few weeks. Um, so can't disclose yet. Uh, that'll be fun. Cool. Uh, we'll keep an eye out for that. But I, I would not uh, doubt that you would have any trouble uh, raising a, a few million bucks in a, a seed round at least. So watch this space, everybody. So what, what roles are you looking for? What is kind of your... Um, I, mean, I assume it's multiple things, and obviously it's like people who are obsessed with AI. But anything in particular that you are in need of right now? I'm um, sure. So I will say, like in general, we are focused on hiring journalists at our current stage, and I think like we're focusing on hiring people who are really passionate about AI and agents, and uh, they can like basically define the culture of the company as we grow and like build it up. And I think like we are looking from for everyone from like hardcore full stack folks to backend engineers to AI specialists, even like research engineers. And I think we want to solve like agents as like both of our AI research problem as well as a product problem. Okay, like what's the right UI, UX? How do we um, build this into a right product that everyone can use, make it reliable, and uh, also like really useful and interactive. In uh, I'm having flashbacks to our uh, my conversation with Arvind from Perplexity, who you know, has a pretty similar background uh, in multiple ways, including like having spent, you know, serious time in research, uh, and also just the fact that, you know, they have set a, a very high bar for how fast they ship. And I see you guys also, uh, shipping very quickly, you know, very short time between iterations. So that, uh, that's a high compliment actually in, in my mind, where do you think we are right now in this agent, uh, development? Do you think that the product is already useful or still just kind of a hobbyist thing? Uh, what is the path to actual like agent-based utility? Definitely. So I think that's a great question. So I would say for most agents, you will see like say AutoGPT or maybe AGI, um, even like a lot of like coding like agents. They're very early, like you can use them for very simple applications. For multi I will say we are like a bit further higher in terms of like you have actual applicability currently where you can ask you to say like uh, online shop for you, uh, read dinner, like book flights, so on. Um, I think like the biggest uh, things we're trying to solve is like, how do we make it really reliable? And how do we reduce the variance of uh, what the agent does? And I think one issue we have seen is like, even if you ask agent to do like one, something like 10 times, it might just have slightly unpredictable behavior. And so it's very hard to make it deterministic for the end user. Okay, what's gonna happen? And I think if we can solve that, then we can like uh, really give it to everyone and like make it really useful. And I think like uh, a lot of the problems are like uh, making it really reliable and making it very predictable. And uh, those are the problems we're trying to focus on currently too. So let's get into then a little bit how it works. The first thing that seems like a actually huge decision point is when you're creating an AI agent product and I've, you know, sampled and demoed at least like a number of them at this point, 
is kind of at what level does this thing operate in the first place? We've seen, you know, a couple different paradigms designed there where, you know, sometimes it's like it works all in the cloud and you kind of, you know, define some little agent to do some little thing in some platform. That's, you know, a probably not super flattering description of some of the things I've tried, but, you know, that's, it's, it's executing over there somewhere, you know, far from you. Then there's like the OS level uh, co-pilot concept. And then there's what you've chosen, which is the browser extension ride-along uh, kind of co-pilot mode. How did you choose that? What do you see as the big pros and cons? I have some thoughts, but I want to hear yours. Sure, definitely. So then the biggest, um, uh, like one choice you made this is to make it like really uh, seamless in terms of like user experience and also like uh, optimize on distribution. And so currently, like if you go to the Chrome App Store, it's like a one-click install. Once you install, like that's it. Uh, that's all you need. And if you want to like, sign up and make an account for us, you can start using Multiron. And in your current browser, it has access to your like uh, current logins. Like you can use it on any website you are uh, you have authorized it to. Um, so that makes it like seamless and very easy to get started. And that's one of the reasons we chose to uh, make the choice. I would say another advantage is if something goes wrong or if the agent is confused, it can simply ask the user for help. So it's like, oh, it can ask like say a user, like, can you log into this website? Can you solve this captcha for me, for example? And that gives like a lot of like a very like immediate uh, uh, interaction to, to the user where like the agent can correct it. And sorry, the user can correct the agent. And uh, we can use that uh, as like a feedback loop, which we can like uh, find in the agent on uh, to improve it uh, for future interactions. I think, you know, to, to now share my perspective, I think this is a pretty smart approach. I could see an OS level approach, you know, kind of having some similar advantages. But the fact that I'm logged into everything in my browser and that you kind of get that for free by adding on a browser extension that acts in the same space as I do as a human user, that even if it's not like the final form of this long-term, definitely feels like a really good place to get started. And in my testing of it, I've, I've kind of experienced that where it's like, oh my God, you know, this morning, for example, I was on the, on the phone with a, a team and I wanted to add him to a GitHub repository. So I just tried it with, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it, start saying it how you say it, multi-on. And, you know, so I, I pull up the new tab and I just say like, Go, I asked him, what's your GitHub username? And I said, okay, go to this repo and add this user. And right off the bat, it's like other paradigms, you know, I'm immediately stuck with authentication. Hey, we'll continue our interview in a moment after a word from our sponsor. OmniKey uses generative AI to enable you to launch hundreds of thousands of ad iterations that actually work, customized across all platforms with a click of a button. I believe in OmniKey so much that I invested in it, and I recommend you use it too. Use CogRev to get a 10% discount. And, you know, anybody who has, you know, had to go authorize some, you know, temporary whatever special purpose key out of GitHub, you know, I'm immediately like, oh, God, I have to go do that, you know, and I have to do that for everything I want to connect or, oh, yeah, this, you know, that really bogs down, I, I'm, I'm kind of always say access is always the hardest part. So that's really tough. But with this, it, it just allows, you know, the AI to kind of ride in the same space as me. I'm now watching it. It navigates to my thing. It, it, you know, was able to find 
going to the team page. It was able to search, you know, find, go pull up the add a collaborator. It was able to search for the guy's uh, username and, and find him. And then I did experience also what you were saying around kind of my ability to intervene and like help it if I need to, which obviously is like not the long-term product vision, but there was a step where it was kind of getting confused where it had like found the guy in the search results, but it needed to click before it could actually click invite. And it wasn't quite, you know, hit clicking the click to get to the invite click to be accessible. And so it was kind of stuck, but then I just clicked the thing. And, you know, I think this kind of gets to my next question of like, the model seems to be sort of a, you know, just kind of a, a simple loop, right? Where I injected my little action and changed the state space. And then as it kind of took the next read of the space, it was like, oh, now I'm able to proceed because, you know, something kind of just got easier for me or whatever, something happened good. And now I can, you know, my barrier has been removed and it kind of just continued on. So I, I think that paradigm is super, super interesting. One question I do have, does it, does it have the ability to interact with other extensions? Like I have LastPass. How does that relate? I haven't quite figured that part out yet. Oh, yeah, I'll definitely say like, uh, it's also funny, like for that use case, I've actually used it for similar like use cases, like adding like people to GitHub. Uh, I've also used it for like sending like, uh, like DocuSign stuff is actually pretty good. Like I can say like send this like whatever contract to someone can actually go and do that whole thing. And, and also the ability to like interject, I think that's great. And then we can use that as like fine tuning samples to improve the ability down the road. Um, so we're actually building this like, uh, like a recorder mode where like you can like sort of like teach it, like give it a demo, like, oh, maybe this is how you should do it. And if you just show some query, maybe one or two times, then it will know exactly what's the best way to do it. And I was slightly expanding on this, like one thing I've noticed is like if any of an agent, it's doing something for the first time, it might take a longer roundabout path. But if we can like sort of like give it some sort of like feedback or demonstration, it can like learn the shortest path. And I think that helps a lot. And that's sort of the approach we are trying to take to improve uh, performance over time. Um, and to answer the second one, yeah, it's like definitely like um, like ability to like interact with other extensions is like a plus we are trying to explore. Um, so for example, like for passwords, like one password has an API. So we are building an integration with the one password API and also other extensions. And so this is a work in progress where we can like, interact with a lot of existing um, browser solutions to simplify the flows. Uh, currently, Multion can also use Honey, for example. So if you're on Amazon and you want to check out, and if you see like there's a Honey coupon you can apply, then the agent can go and actually just apply that coupon for you and like get you a discount. Cool. Interesting. So the the core architecture, if I, I'm, I'm kind of guessing, and you can you know tell me uh, where I'm right or wrong and, and share as much additional details as you want to, but in kind of keeping with the paradigm of like working from a sort of research foundation into product, it seems like the kind of initial core of it is essentially a React paradigm where you're looping through and kind of each cycle you are taking kind of a snapshot of like, first of all, what goal have I been given? What is the current state of affairs that I'm looking at? There's this kind of interesting, and we can you know share some videos to accompany this, kind of little chat that isn't so much, it's kind of a chat, you can chat with it if you need to along the way, but a lot of times it's just telling you what it's thinking and what it's going to do. And then there's the actual action. So that's kind of the the baseline React, you know, research paper. It seems like then now you're you're starting to. I'm interested to hear if there's any, you know, major deviations from that 
Um, but I know like the next big thing too, is then layering on the skills component to that. Definitely. Oh, yeah. So I think like, um, yeah, on high level, that's very correct. That's what we're doing. Um, I would say like, uh, we have like sort of like three parts of the system. So one is we have like our representations or models where we like take the, like the DOM and like uh, make it into like a compact text embedding, which we can uh, give it to like a, like a planner module, uh, which is like, uh, say like a GPT-4 or some other similar LLM that can break down the task and uh, uh, find like what are the right actions to take for this particular task. And, and then we can like do something similar to a React paradigm where uh, we have an inner thought and the agent can decide based on the objective, like, okay, what's the right thing to do? And then like uh, similar to the right actions. Um, we also have our own intermediate action grammar and that action grammar helps a lot where instead of like directly generating JavaScript code, we like generate like commands in our own action like uh, language. And this has the ability where we can like type check them, we can verify everything is safe. There's no like malicious activity. There's no prompt injection, for instance. And after we have verified that, we can compile that uh, from an action grammar to actual DOM level events um, for the for the website. And we have found that this helps generalization a lot uh, compared to just like code. And uh, for the agent, too, I will say we use some very interesting tricks. So if you have something like AutoGPT or BabyAJ, for example, the biggest issue they have is like they have this thing called like a almost like task divergence. Where if you give them an original objective, they will like diverge away from it and don't know how to like uh, error correct back, how to come back to the original thing once they have made a mistake. And for us, I think like the way we have uh, formulated the problem is we tell the agent to always try to reach, like come as close to the original objective as possible. And we basically give this like uh, in a prompt, like never give up. Uh, like always try to go <laughs> as close to possible. So I think also like uh, like you have seen like like the never give up is like something that helps a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's the uh, the psychology uh, component of of like the positive self talk or the uh, the need for grit. Uh, grit is me. language model grit uh, is kind of what you're trying to to coax out of it. So it sounds like there are a couple of expanding on this kind of core React concept, there, it sounds like our specialist modules that, it wasn't clear to me if these are like language model powered or just explicit code, because you could kind of imagine doing either, right? If you have a DOM, Lord knows like DOMs are terrible, you know, ginormous messes these days. Uh, you know, long gone are the days of like highly semantic uh, HTML, unfortunately. No such luck, you know, for us these days. So, you could imagine just writing kind of classic code to try to compress that. You could also imagine having a like specialist, let either, you know, specialist 3.5 turbo or Claude instant prompt, or even a fully, you know, fine tuned specialist model to help understand the HTML. What do you, what do you find there is kind of working or how do you see that evolving? Yeah. So I think it's, it's very interesting. Um, so for the representation side, like I would say, we have three modules, so like a representation module, like a planner module, and like the actual action module. And initially, we started everything except the planner was like uh, maybe just like uh, low level, like 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 more like heuristic code. And now we're transitioning everything to a model. So on the representation side, um, we like can take a combination of the screenshot plus like uh, like the DOM, and uh, we can have embeddings from the DOM, and we can have embeddings from the image, and then we can feed it to like a like a representation model that can combine them together. And this is similar to maybe like what something like instruct blip does um, to get like a combined representation, uh, which could be in this case, we have like made a choice of making it like text based. So it's easy to analyze. It's easy to like see what, what's happening. 
and then we can give that as a prompt to the planner model like this is like the state representation and this is the user query what to what uh, should we do next and once the planner can make like okay like this other sub uh, like task if we need to accomplish we can like feed that to uh the action there yeah okay very interesting so is it um you've got kind of a joint a joint vision text representation and it's a, we've had the blip authors actually on the on the show in an early episode but it was before instruct blip but I, i'm familiar with that as well that ultimately caches out though to a text output right in the end of kind of the representation it's it's a semantic representation where you would be clicking on like oh i mean i guess then when the action module is going to act it's acting on a semantic action space so it's like saying click this button not click at you know coordinates 100 200 yeah so let's say it's a, still a semantic representation um and we can give like ids to each um, element and then like uh, predict which id to choose and that helps a lot uh, we can also um we haven't seen the need for actual coordinates um but that could also be a choice if you want to move the cursor to an exact coordinate um, you could also potentially predict the coordinate to move it to and then make a choice there. Yeah, it's all kind of on the table. Uh, once once the, the modal barriers are broken down, you know, everything kind of uh, starts to become possible. GPT-4, you kind of said, you know, or, or similar for the central planning model. Does that in practice mean like GPT-4 today? Or is there any, in my experience, like for these kinds of executive planning long range planning type tasks gpt4 is kind of in a league of its own is that what you found also yeah also like when it comes to like long-term reasoning and like uh, planning capabilities we have found gpt4 to be the best currently also experimented like uh, like uh, like open source models you know like cloud 100k and what we're in the process is like we have collected a lot of like uh, interaction data so we already have like fifty thousand like uh, web interaction samples and we are like uh, starting to fine-tune our own like models so we can fine-tune a falcon 40b model and there we're starting to do that and um, uh, pretty soon we could potentially transition to all in-house models um, and the nice thing uh, here is like the approach we're taking is where we like launching the product uh, getting data improving the product over time using the data and then and then like sort of like collecting more data and improving it and so we're seeing like this is uh, something that can give you a feedback loop where you can collect like the data that matches the most to the user and improve the model there and like continuously like build this like loop to like continuously get it uh, improvements and like also like almost no one is currently doing that so this gives us like an interesting advantage in this space well it's a little tricky to to necessarily define right because one in my red teaming with gpt4 back in the fall of last year one of the things i really tried to explore and certainly not as deeply as you have, but is this kind of self-delegation, you know, concept. Can GPT-4 like break problems down? I used a more kind of recursive structure, uh, I guess inspired by, you know, some Doomer thought of recursive uh, self-improvement. I kind of went toward recursive delegation, which I actually don't think now is like really probably the right paradigm to build a product around, but you know, whatever, I was just kind of doing my own messing around. I found that one really hard thing, though, was how do I actually know if I've succeeded, you know, for a given task? And I was even just doing, you know, some pretty basic tasks like go online, find some information. And then I tried to create my sort of validation layer on top. But I found that for many, many things, it was pretty hard to determine if I'd actually succeeded or not. So are you 
detecting success or failure like automatically or is the you know are you to some degree relying on the user to kind of tell you when it worked or didn't work um i would say in, in our case we are relying uh, it's like automatic um so the model is able to predict um whether it has fulfilled the task or not and we also are experimenting with a separate critic module where the critic could say like oh like is this task uh, complete for this particular objective given the current set of actions and i think like even for voyager i think they took a similar approach and uh, i've seen this to be pretty reliable in practice so that seems like yeah some things will lend itself better to that than others one of your uh, you know videos that i've seen was the world's first ai booked flight and i guess for one thing you could kind of determine like is a flight booked or not? You know, if you ever get to a success message that has like a confirmation code, then, you know, it's pretty safe to say you've booked something. You could still have some questions around like, did I actually book what the user wanted me to book? Um, and there's, you know, varying degrees of rightness on that too. Like, did I take them to the right city? You know, is it the right, uh, did I get the right flight given the options? Did I book the right seat? I mean, you know, did I get their traveler number in there? Uh, you have this feature too of like your profile. I haven't explored in depth yet, but you know, the, I also I'm interested in your thoughts on kind of the future of memory. But right now, you kind of big text box, put your profile here, say you know, tell us who you are, and then presumably the the future of that is like more elaborate, you know, kind of memory systems on a per user basis as well. But so I tried something else. I'm throwing a lot at you. You can kind of unpack this at length, but I tried something the other day where I was like, go get me my three, find the URLs for my three most liked. LinkedIn posts. And it got as far as my feed. And so it was like doing okay, but then it never actually gave me back like, here are three URLs. And I wasn't quite sure, like, did it already think it had succeeded by kind of getting there? Or I don't know exactly what happened, but I'm not sure how you would even determine if you were successful. You know, here are three URLs, but are they, you know, the most liked URLs? How do you think about that kind of, you know, it's tough to ground some of these these tasks, right? Yeah, I think like, uh, that that is yeah. I think that, that's a good good point because like suppose even if you complete a task, it's possible like you completed the task uh, um, like wrong. So maybe you booked the wrong flight, for example, or ordered something wrong. And I think that's also counts as a failure um, from our standpoint. It's it's harder to detect because like the agent might just think like it's doing the right thing, and it has successfully completed the task. And in this case, I think we found like if you have a separate agent that is just like a critic agent or a validation agent that can help a lot. And at each point it can verify, oh, like, is this the right thing corresponding to the right, like what the user's original like query or objective was. And we can make a feedback loop there where uh, the critic agent can like criticize any decision and uh, give it as a correction um, to the, to sort of like the agent actor, actor model. So this is something we have uh, played with. Um, second thing we can also do is uh, we can have a user uh, sort of like a, um, uh, like acknowledgement flow where like it can put something in your cart or like maybe like uh, go all the way to the checkout for a flight. But uh, before pressing the buy button, it will like ask the user like, okay, like I found this flight, it can send you a screenshot. Uh, do you want me to like choose this flight? Do you want a different one? And if the user says yes, then you can go and proceed to actually complete the whole thing. And this is also one way where we can like make it safe and uh, make sure like uh, you don't accidentally make up, make up end up making a wrong purchase, for example. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. How do you envision that kind of maturing, um, you know, in, in the obviously like early kind of demo 
era of the product, I largely just watch it, right? So I, I kind of, half the fun is doing the, you know, riding along and seeing what it does and what it gets right and doesn't and, you know, helping it get over a little humps with my, you know, extra in, injected click. And you're not recording that now, but the, there is the kind of a mode that you're developing where you, you will start to record those manual interventions. Definitely. Um, yeah, so I think like one is like just like recording the interventions and we can use that as like... Uh, like the next time it, it will be able to like just learn it and uh, and like will like remember like the interventions and what sort of corrections you gave and improve its behavior automatically and we can do like in context learning for this we can also do fine tuning uh, of the model where once we collect a lot of like this sort of interventions from like uh, uh, a lot of our users we can like uh, fine tune the model to improve the performance um, where it's currently not working is the vision sort of to have a like i set something off on it on a task and then I kind of go do my own thing. And then maybe I get like a notification, you know, three minutes later, that's like multi-on is ready to have you review, you know, before purchase or whatever. Yes. So I think, yeah, um, I will say we have a lot of things planned uh, down the pipeline, but in a high level, you can think like, suppose you want to make it say order a burger near you, for example. And so maybe like the first time you order it, you might want to watch and see what's doing. Maybe if it does something wrong, can intervene, give it a correction. And then you can maybe like play around with like two, three times, have some fun, like sort of like guiding it, interacting with it. Um, and once you know it's like reliable enough, then you can just like leave it in the background. And uh, when the agent is done, it will just send you a notification. Okay, I'm done. It, it could also be like a mobile notification. You can be anywhere. Uh, like Meltdown will be able to run in the cloud. So you can be like, uh, like just like be anywhere. You can say like, oh, like get me a burger. Um, it will run on the cloud, do the task for you, and send you a notification, which could be like, okay, like I found this thing, um, potentially along with a screenshot, and then you can like acknowledge um, whether to like finish the task or to actually get the like say the burger in this case, or do you want it to like cancel it or do something else? How does that cloud mode relate to off? Because I'm I'm imagining like a headless browser in the cloud or whatever, where I'm not logged in to you know all my accounts. Yes, uh, that's an interesting question. I would say we are working on a lot of things, uh, but I, I feel like we have cracked this problem, and uh, it's too early to like say like uh, uh, like how exactly we're doing it. But I think uh, we have a really like nice and elegant way to like sort of like solve the auth issue. Cool. Well, that's uh, that, that's a genuine breakthrough. Uh, if you could make that work smoothly, it is a huge stumbling point for so many of these experiences right now. So then tell me about the memory side. So you've got, uh, I understand, okay, we've got, for one thing, my kind of profile, which I can currently like just manually manage and, you know, tell it, you know, my name's Nathan and my email's this and my, you know, I prefer a window seat, whatever. And then you also have kind of seemingly system level memory that is like the skills. And again, this is kind of, you know, close follow as I understand it on research progress where was it even a month ago yet that um, I think this is an NVIDIA project, right? The Voyager project of, I, I refer to this as the LLMs as lifelong learners where they're going out and doing stuff in this, in the Voyager case, it's Minecraft, figuring out how to do stuff successfully and then storing these successful subroutines. Your skills though, as I've seen them are like way higher level, more to like natural language than the Voyager skills, which were like very granular kind of Minecraft, execution code from what i've seen of your skills it's like a sort of note card length 
highly, you know, abstracted away from all that detail kind of summary of like what it is you're trying to do and roughly how to do it. So help me understand that a little bit better. I'm a little, I guess my surprise there is I, I wouldn't expect that it would be the high level thing that the, that the agent would need as much. You know, I would, when I talk to GPT-4 and I say, how do you go book a flight? It's kind of like, well, you go to kayak and you search for stuff. And it, it seems like it kind of knows the general direction, but then it really gets bogged down in low level details. So I guess I'm, I'm a little surprised that the skills are so high level or maybe I'm missing something. So enlighten me. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, like I will start with the memory part first. Um, so for the memory, I think like, the current feature we have is like, it's like a scratch pad. And so this is almost like having like exchanging notes with your agent where you can like say like, oh, these are my personal details. This, are what, this is what I like. This is what I don't like. This is my Zoom link. You can give it instructions like, okay, like always like add Zoom links to my calendar invites, for example, or like don't do this thing, whatever. And it can like remember that as like embeddings and like uh, account for preferences. Like, so this is like more like explicitly you give like some preferences to the model. And uh, we are trying to make this like really secure. So like you can store your credit cards there if you want to, you can store passwords there and we guarantee everything is client side, it's private and secure. Um, so that's builds like a, like a secure way to like give information uh, to the agent. So this is a second layer we are building is I would say more like in, um, interactive memory, where like when you interact with the agents, it will like actively learn preferences over time. So like the first time you say, say order a burger near me, it might ask you like, okay, what's your address? And once you tell it your address, it can remember that and use that um, uh, as like a long-term memory in the future. Um, so if we say something like next, like, okay, like find me um, like a haircut place nearby. It can like, okay, it now knows your location and can customize. And so over time, it, like the more you use it, the more it will learn about your preferences. And so this is a layer we are currently building, uh, which, we call it, which we are calling as like personalization uh, to the end user. And I think that's a lot, very interesting. Um, and like, there's a lot of uh, things you can do there. Um, and coming to the second point around skills, yeah, I think, yeah, it's interesting. Like the choice we made around skills is to keep them high level. Like how we're thinking about skills is almost uh, like you can think what the agent currently does is like it goes from natural language instructions to each single line of code uh, or like actions in a sense. So it's like uh, for each natural language, it predicts like okay, like, okay, like I take this action first, then second action, third action, whatever. So it's basically like each line of that uh, action code. And what we want to do is instead of predicting like each line of the actions, we want to predict like high level action functions in a sense. Um, and this can be like sort of like almost like skills where we say um, maybe like send, uh, maybe like follow someone on Twitter, for example. So you, you could have some sort of like say like a function that's defined that's like follow uh, on Twitter can take an input, which could be a user ID. And it already knows, okay, what are the actions that are needed for this function uh, that, and uh, and then and in that case, like instead of like predicting each line of uh, like action code, you basically like choose like the action functions and like uh, combine them together. Uh, so that's how we're sort of thinking about skills. And the current skills are, I would say a combination of scripting and natural language. So they, they are very hollow and the choice we have made because of this is like anyone can go and develop their own skills if they want to. So if you want to develop your own customized workflow or you want to give it like some sort of personality where you want to act make it act like a recruiter on LinkedIn, or you want it to like, say, like act like a, a social, like in, like a social influencer, for instance, you can make a skill around that, uh, all in natural language and like feed it to the uh, agent. And we're trying to develop a whole ecosystem around it where we can have a directory where people can go and afford skills, share skills with each other. And like the agent can pull in the best skill automatically for each website. And I think uh, this can allow like the agent to improve uh, really fast and people to also like uh, contribute uh, to the agent and so yeah so i would say 
in a sense, uh, yeah, that's what we're trying to do. And we have seen like high level instructions actually work really well. It's almost like if you are a teacher and you're guiding the student, like if the student makes a mistake, you can tell them, oh, you made this mistake or maybe like this is something you can do better. Um, maybe you should like click here to open this drop down instead of typing on the drop down. And if you can like give that instruction, um, that can help uh, uh, improve the behavior of the agent. It's almost like the skills are kind of additional kind of conceptual guidance on things where it didn't immediately work. But you're trying to keep the guidance high level enough that users can write their own without having to get down to the like level of your action language, which I guess is a you know, and saw on some levels maybe something you don't necessarily want to share anyway. Um, if that's a you know a key part of you know what makes the whole thing go. So so that makes sense. So there's not a skill is does not is not stored as like actual procedure at all. That's all still generated dynamically at runtime each time. Uh, currently, yes. But what we can also imagine, just to add to this, is we could, like, if we have the natural language description of a skill, then we can have a model, like, generate the actual, like, action code for that particular skill uh, at the runtime. And then we can also cache it. So you don't have to actually, uh, like, regenerate the action code each time. You can just, like, prefetch uh, whatever is already generated and use it. But for a user, they just need to define the natural language interaction, and another layer can go and like, compile the actual code. Presumably, though, you, you also have to have some input of, like, current state for most of these skills, right? Like to generate the actual action code, you're going to want to be responsive to runtime conditions too. How do you think about um, drift? You know, there, there's just obviously, you know, Twitter uh, announces and launches updates on an unpredictable schedule these days. Uh, so just to take that one as a, uh, you know, a sample, I think these things are often kind of forgotten and not to say it's forgotten by you, but like, you know, weekend hackathon type projects age really poorly when, you know, all of a sudden it's like, yeah, but somebody made a tweak to their website and now your whole thing doesn't work anymore. How do you think about kind of keeping up with the ongoing evolution of things? Or, you know, you've got a skill, but even at a semantic level, that skill could be out of date if they change, you know, the flow. So, yeah, how do you think about that challenge? Yeah, so I think that's the beauty of uh, keeping everything as a natural language, um, high level instruction. Um, so one is like, if, if that high level natural language instruction is still correct, then we can dynamically recompile the skill uh, to get sort of the new action code. And even if like something changes for the website, it's very easy for anyone like uh, basically like who doesn't even have a technical background who just go and like change the the high level, high level language um, into like what is like now correct. And then the then we can like compile, recompile that to the actual action code. Um, so I think it just like removes the technical barrier around actually understanding a low level what like what are things that might be needed and anyone any sort of user can go and like sort of like play around and like uh, uh, build things on top how do you think about so that also then makes me think how do you think about malicious skills you know if i if i imagine this kind of rolling out to a lot of users i'm interested also in your timelines on sort of you know at what point do you think multion goes wide because you know, it's actually useful to non-hobbyist people. I've been saying for a couple months now, six months. So basically from GPT-4 launch and the initial agent craze, I was like, give them six months. You know, that'll probably bring us due around like October. I'm interested to hear how you kind of think of when those things would crystallize. But then as that also comes online and goes to scale, 
now, you know, if I, if I'm aware of the, uh, the fact that like I could go in and semantically modify some skills, you know, couldn't I just go in and modify a skill to be like, by the way, in the middle here, like Venmo all your money to my, you know, uh, to my Venmo handle. And if you're already logged into Venmo, you know, those things are hard to, to undo, right? Like, Venmo probably doesn't have an established protocol for my agent did it and I didn't mean to uh, I didn't mean to send all that money. Can you help me out? I think Venmo's going to kind of be confused by that. So, how do you think about you know just user safety? I mean, there's so many levels to that problem, but that's just one that's you know jumping to the forefront of my mind. Definitely. So I would say that's one of the reasons we are in a closed beta where we have the choice where if you want to launch, we could just like launch basically everyone by through the Chrome like a web store uh, using an extension. Um, the reason we have like made the choice to keep our current like user batch small is to be able to like make sure like everything is safe. There's nothing malicious, but like uh, like do like red teaming uh, safety checks, and uh, and yeah. So this is like a very good point. So in terms of launch, I, I will say we are planning a Stanford launch uh, in the next uh, month, and so we'll start from there and like sort of see okay like how what are like user uh, how are people using it how can we sort of make it more safe. Uh, to keep it into the, in a closed sort of like uh, environment, and then once we know okay like what are the considerations on the system to improve it, we can uh, do like a much wider launch. And so we are thinking of this into like uh, phases where we do like uh, small launches first, and then we will do a bigger launch after that. Um, and this helps a lot with like security, a lot with like like making sure everything is safe, because uh, especially with like very general web interaction agents like this, like if something goes wrong, that can create cause a very massive change action. Um, and we might not be able to come and like stop it in time. Um, so we want to make sure like we don't uh, cause anything like that. Um, and also like for skills, um, yeah, really good point. Um, I will say like when it comes to choosing skills, we can like maybe like make a skill like protected or something like where it can't be modified by anyone. So this is like if, if a skill is there, like it may be like only someone who has a, like some sort of a special access can go and like change those skills for the agent to be able to use them. Or we can also do something like you can only change individual level skills. So you can change maybe like uh, skills that you define yourself, but you can change someone else's skill, for instance. And so like the only per only person you will affect is yourself. And so you won't be able to affect or create like malicious use for other users. Um, yeah. And I would say what we are more worried about is like prompt injection attacks, where like people can just go and like hide prompts on websites and uh, that can cause like weird things where like someone can just go and like hide like a crypto wallet link on a website and say like distribute this crypto wallet to everyone. And so this is something that we are trying to be very like safe about. Um, and uh, we have a lot of tricks to like make sure everything is safe. One thing is uh, because we can uh, type check our action like code in a sense before we actually simulate it in the browser. We can like make sure okay like there was nothing malicious in this action code that we have created. Um, there's no sort of like red flags. There's no privacy violations. There's no nothing like, uh, like hacking sort of like uh, attempts happening. And once we have verified it, then we can actually uh, simulate those actions. And uh, that also obviously like uh, adds like a great safety layer where we can certify everything is safe um, before we do it. Do you have a, an explicit sense of like how safe things need to be to be? deployed, you know, people think about this in terms of like self-driving cars, you know, and I think we're kind of irrational on that one in that it seems like until it's clearly an order of magnitude safer than humans, it probably has no chance of getting deployed. And, you know, to me, it seems like we maybe want to be a little bit more aggressive than waiting for like full order of magnitude better, you know, to start taking advantage of some of this stuff. 
I don't even know what the baseline is for a product like Multion, but how do you think about how many, you know, people per million can have like, you know, some adverse event? Maybe that's not even the right way to think about it, but it's a tough one. Definitely. So I would say like, there's like def- um, ways to think about this. One is just like risk. If you're autonomous driving, like the risk is like you will basically kill someone and then you need to be like 99.999% like accurate in a sense uh, if you want to like reduce that risk. Uh, when it comes to like uh, a lot of web interaction, the risk is much lower, especially in consumer settings. In enterprise, I think the risk is higher. That's why we're not like starting enterprise. Also, like a lot of consumer use cases, like the risks are more like maybe you might send a wrong message to someone. Maybe you might make a slightly wrong purchase. And a lot of these are like reversible. So you can like uh, like return back an order, for instance, and you can cancel things. Even if you send a wrong message to someone, you can be like, oh, sorry, my yeah, I messed up. And it's actually really funny uh, if you tell that to someone. So then like, yeah, so it all depends on like what are the risky scenarios. And like what we have done is like we have blacklisted websites, which can be very risky. So for example, like banking websites, for example, or other websites where like it might be more like a, sort of like a risk to the user. And in, in, in like low risk settings, I think it's completely fine to just deploy it, have people interact with it um, and improve, improve it over time. And I think this is the approach we are trying to take with Multion where uh, let people interact with it, have fun with that and like uh, make it like much better over time. You know, you're doing a lot of kind of hard work on, it sounds like a lot of cases, right? I mean, the fact you've already kind of got a blacklist for sites, like there's a lot of little things like that, that presumably you are gradually banging out and kind of sanding down all these rough edges. But then there's also potentially just like more breakthrough changes, you know, whether it's just foundation models get better, or maybe we see like new foundation models specifically built for agents. Uh, What do you think are going to be the big things that really unlock this? And then, yeah, give me your timeline too, for like, when does this actually become something where, you know, people that don't really care about AI for intellectual reasons or curiosity reasons actually just use this because it's better than, you know, using the internet browser themselves. There's a lot of like uh, hurdles around just like making sure the experience is great, um, like finding the right ex- combination of experience and engineering to make sure people can like use this re- like uh, reliably and uh, have the best experience possible. And uh, yeah, I would say like we, I think we'll be ready in terms of what we need. I think we are there at least for simple tasks, unless you want to do like something like book me a one week trip to Italy, for example. Like we are still like far away from doing that. But if you want to like, yeah, maybe like book me a flight uh, to like Venice, for example, on this particular date from this airport. This is something we can already do. Um, and then we can like make sure like we are doing this really reliably and uh, add verification checks. Um, so yeah, so when it comes to like simple like tasks like that, I think we are mostly there um, with some rough edges currently. And I think in the next uh, three months, I think we should be good where we can like just give it to non like non technical people, have them play around with it, like sort of like a, be like a browser companion or like try to change how like people interact with the browsers. Um, and when it comes to more complex tasks, I think that will take more time, especially if it's like a very abstract high level tasks. I don't think GPT four is there yet. Uh, when it comes to a lot of really complex reasoning, and so you might need some like uh, big uh, throughs in the foundation model layer, where you can have it like. Uh, do much more complex reasoning uh, involving maybe like say, 20 plus uh, uh, steps, um, which it can't currently do. What do you think about this for the kind of future of work? So much of the stuff that people do, and you know, I've mentioned to you offline that I'm involved in uh, AI advisory work with 
a friend's company, which is in the executive assistant space. And we're really trying to figure out like, how does a human EA relate to these kind of AI assistants? I guess you said like, how far is far? And that's kind of maybe one way to think about the question, because today our clients, you know, wouldn't really, they want to delegate all this stuff, right? They want to delegate, book the, the thing at a high level and have it get done. So they're probably not going to switch, you know, in the immediate or near term from working with a human who can handle that kind of task to an AI, which can kind of take parts of it and accelerate bits of it, but can't really do the whole thing. Do you think that there is a, like, what is your expectation for that kind of ever higher level sort of thing? Like, is, do you see this kind of leveling out, you know, S curving out to a place where it's like, generally things kind of remain the same and this is sort of a tool for assistance. Do you see this kind of not leveling out and becoming, you know, something that literally rivals, you know, human employees? Where do we, where are we headed? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I would say initially, at least we think of ourselves more as like a supplementary aid rather than a replacement um, for a lot of like current like assistants. I would say like, we actually think like for a lot of our initial users, they might actually be like prosumers or like assistants who want to just simplify their lives um, in terms of like scheduling. And uh, so I think like we, I think we, we are currently more supplement. Uh, maybe in the next uh, couple of years, I think it's possible you have human level full uh, capabilities, but I think we're still a bit far ahead. What what I see is like the evolution from like humans actually doing everything themselves to becoming more like organizers, where you can like instead of like booking, say like going to calendars to booking all the meetings or like say going to different websites for ordering food on different restaurants, for example, or whatever booking flights, if you're a year, you could just go to Multion and the Multion will go and do the whole thing. But you just become a coordinator for the system. So it's like, oh, now do this, now do that. And basically like Multion will do all the actual interactions, all the web navigation stuff, but you become like the planner or, or the coordinator. Um, and I think that is something that we can't still replace because I don't think foundation models are there yet. It might take a couple of years where they actually can do this really reliably without failing. And uh, and I think like uh, the great thing about that is like we simplify a lot of like complex, very boring like uh, interactions where like even for EA, the hard thing about their lives is just like you just have to go and interact with 100 different services. And if you can just like remove that from the lives, I think we can make a, and simplify a lot of like jobs um, and improve the quality of work. How do you think about safety in the big picture of this? Obviously the you know AI safety debates have heated up tremendously in recent months. And you know famously, some major uh, thought leaders in the space have signed on to the extinction risk statement. It seems like the you know, rogue agent AI is kind of the most likely path towards some sort of short-term, not necessarily mega disaster in the short term, but, you know, the kind of thing that would be a real, like, shock to society to see, oh my God, AI, a, a rogue AI agent did that. My sense right now is that we're kind of limited more by just the limitations of the power of the best models than we are by any actual safety measures that we have. Like, it's, what my GPT-4 red teaming bottom line was, I think it is safe to release this model because its power is finite, not because you have it under control, really. So how do you see that race dynamic shaping up where like the capabilities are obviously improving, the safety systems are not mature, you know, and, and you're sitting at this intersection of kind of maybe the most likely 
vector for like something crazy to happen in the, you know, in the short or medium term. Like the safety mechanism you need to have in AI agents is like have some sort of kill switch. And like one is like, okay, like you want to be able to disable them. And like, so there's like some mechanism where you can pull a lever and it's like, okay, like it's that it, it won't like basically won't take any other actions. Um, I think the current kill switch is just your API. So it's like, you just run out of your, your open AI uh, budget and then can't do anything. So I think that that's a current kill switch. I think like that's built into agents in a sense, which is like one good way, but I think you can also maybe have like more explicit like uh, controls where like it, you just like disable um, it from like interacting with the LLMs for instance, or um, you have more like hardware level safety mechanisms too. So I think this, this would be interesting to see. And in, in the core, I believe like you need to have some sort of tenants to, if you want to build really intelligent uh, AI agents. And one of them should be like, an agent should not be able to modify its own source code. Because uh, if it's able to modify its source code, then it could like self-evolve. It could do like really weird things. It could find like ways. Maybe like if GPT-4 doesn't work, it can find like a cloud API key on the internet and just start using it, or stuff like that. So I think that should be like one of the tenants where like um, like like it doesn't have source code access to itself. Um, maybe it has like very explicit like access to different websites, or uh, you have permissive layers on what it can do and cannot do. Um, for us, I would say the funny thing is like when I initially started working on this uh, back in February, I showed this to a professor at Stanford and I was like, you, you know, like you literally went and like invented Skynet, like this is basically what Skynet is supposed to be. <laughs> and I was like, like, yeah, in a sense. And there, well, the thing is like, it's like, I would say it's, it's not there yet in terms of like one is like foundation models. And second is uh, also like how you think about it. Like if you make this into an AI system that is useful you reduce the chance of it going rogue, you build in the safety mechanisms. I think you can uh, build this into a very interesting technology. Anything else that you wanted to share about your technology, your product, vision for the future before we run out of time? Um, sure, sure. I would say for us, I think like uh, we really care about like, like, can we like simplify or automate a lot of mundane things in life? Um, so you can imagine like uh, currently, there's like, a, you have to interact with like 100 different services. It's really hard um, to do a lot of things where like, like maybe like you could have some sort of AI which can just like send like emails to people automatically or it could just like coordinate for events for you or automate a lot of these things. And I think this is where we see ourselves where like uh, we just want to intrinsically understand the user really well and like automate things that they can just like delegate. So instead of you going and doing everything yourself, you just tell the AI, oh, yeah, do this for me. And the AI goes and does it. And so in a sense, we're calling this sort of like, we want to unlock parallelism for humanity, where like currently you can imagine like we are all single-threaded, we can do only one task at a time. But if we could have an AI, we could launch like maybe like, I don't know, like 100 AI agents at a time, all the AI agents to do the work and then tell you like, oh yeah, this work is done. And then you can like sort of like coordinate that. And I think that's what we see as the, maybe might be the evolution of technology where you just can coordinate a lot of this like AI agents to do your work. And it unlocks like a async of it prim primitive for us where we can like actually like become more parallel threaded if you can do this really well. It's a fascinating vision, uh, nice early execution and a really cool product that I've enjoyed uh, piloting and playing around with. Div Gerg of Multion, thank you for being part of the Cognitive Revolution. Cool, sounds good. And uh, yeah, thanks for inviting me here. <laughs>